Also, anyone who walks past here looking in the car is like, what the hell are those guys doing? <laughs> just sitting here by the skip. Yeah, yeah, yeah sitting here by the skip doing a wee pre-interview. So, look, here with Scott in the car. Scott, do you want to describe where we are? I feel a wee bit excited. Like, you know, like giddy nervousness. I feel like I'm about to like skydive for the first time or something. It is kind of like an internal skydive. <laughs> so you're going into your spaciousness inside, which is very exciting. I love that. And oh, I really like wish that there wasn't, whenever you look up a podcast, any previews or it didn't tell you what like was going to go on. Because mm. I'd like someone to hear that for the first time. Like, oh shit, what are they going to yeah, do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like in theory, we could like... Just do an esoteric rambling, say question mark, question mark, question mark. It's just true. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, when you get to this stage anyway, I think we've got to give the big reveal. Okay, let's go. We're going to do a sensory deprivation tank slash isolation tank slash float tank. Wow. All the names for it. <laughs> and yeah, I'm excited. This is something that is brand new to your good self. Yeah, I've never, ever done this before. And I feel like it's sort of in the neighborhood of a lot of stuff I'm already interested in. Like, I feel like there's, like, an affinity between people who, like, swim in the sea, go to the sauna. You know, it's, like, people like us do things like this, and I feel kind of left out from the tribe because I have never done this before. Until today. Until today. When's the first time you heard about a sensory deprivation tank? Mm, That's a good question because I'm wondering if it was in my awareness. I feel like it might have been before... I really started to get interested in it through the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. Mm. But I'm not sure off the top of my head. I know for sure whenever I got into the Joe Rogan Experience, he bangs on about does it. Does he talk about it a lot? All the time, yeah. Does he, he has his own oh, I bet he does. <laughs> yeah. He's a big... Uh, he's like one of the guys that's generally credited for making it like kind of what it is today, like well-known and Crazy. spreading it, yeah. Bro, I love learning new things from you. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> So, yeah, it was definitely on the Joe Rogan podcast that I'd heard about it. And I was aware of it for years before the first time that I'd ever come where we are today, hydro Oh, is this where, was this where you broke your floating virginity? It was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'd known about it for years. And it was one of those things that I'd really built up in my head because mm. you hear about it on podcasts, especially things like the Joe Rogan experience where, like, you know they talk about certain things like whether it's martial arts or psychedelics and really big these things up you know it's funny i kind of have the same um nervousness to go and do this that i would if i was to take psychedelics so i I actually totally know where you're coming from like i feel like it's been hyped up i'm like whoa like what's going to happen when they close the lid you know what i mean (laughs) yeah well in, in weird way it's on the same continuum of that you know like meditation psychedelics the float tank um it's really like an exploration into your inner space and i almost don't know whether to share this now or not because you're just about to go into it but from my personal experience it's one of the very few things in life that i've known about been really excited about and built up in my head and it actually lived up to it my goodness I know, like most the things, has like been that. thrown down. <laughs> yeah, because like you, you hear about certain things or whatever, and you like build it up in your head, and quite often it's like, well, you know, is it ever going to be as good as that? Mm. This for me, it was like the sensation of coming out of it, and my shoulders had dropped like by an inch. What? I know it was like 
I was truly parasympathetic, like in this rest and digest part of the nervous system felt just so relaxed in a way that like few other things like I felt could help me pretty much guarantee get into that state. And I'm really excited to talk about it on the other side. (laughs) Crazy, mate. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Like, do you know anything about, did have humans done this for a while or is this like a relatively new invention? So in my like two minute Wikipedia search <laughs> for the We're professional show here, guys, you know, we're beside a skip here. It's life's life's good. <laughs> um, I I did know parts of this already, but I kinda wanted to get clear on it. Um it's been around since the fifties. Okay. So I believe the guy's called John C. Lilly, the guy who invented the float tank. So it's been around for enough time that uh this isn't like brand new, but in the scale of the fact that humans have been around for mm. two hundred to three hundred thousand years, you know, this is a that's crazy, pretty novel experience. So the first time I heard about it was there was a guy I used to be mates with in Manhattan, and he was like, like when when people talk about like Wall Street traders. Like he, like he was one of the guys, like literally, like sending like a bajillion dollars, like down the electronic wire, like every single second, and like you know, I remember asking him, like it was around the time of Brexit and Trump, and I was like, oh man, like you know, I, I bet you had a really hard week in work, and he had a big smile on his face. He goes, no, 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 like the more chaos there is, the more money we make, and I was like, whoa, like that. This is like the kind of person that we're dealing with here. But we used to go for dinner and he would swear by sensory deprivation tanks. Mm. Like, and he says because his job is just like so frantic and frenetic, he just needed that way just to completely turn off. And the other thing that just came into my head, when I was in Germany there with the family, my brother-in-law, I told him that we were going to be doing this. And he was like, oh, cool. You know, I've never actually done it before. But I've had a similar experience in the natural world. And I was like, mm. oh, please tell me more. So he was in Egypt. Hey, look at the look at the callback oh. here to the last episode. <laughs> he was in Egypt. Are you ready? It's about to get even serious. In the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. And but he went at nighttime. Hmm. So they went out like pitch black, floated oh, man. in the Red Sea. Is it the red or the dead? I'm not sure. Need to fact check that. Um but I don't know, there's so much salt in it that the yeah. float. And they were just like lying back, looking up, just like into the nothingness. Jesus. So there is a natural sensory deprivation tank sort of <laughs> i'm curious as well to like know from that area and i would imagine this is true so one of the things with like the tank that we're going to go into obviously the water is highly salinated like the dead red sea yeah, whatever yeah, it is red dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so you're floating on the water the water's heated up to body temperature so you Ooh, don't really comfy. feel it so that's why you get the sensation of floating because it's like it's not a a little bit warmer than you it's not a little bit colder it's just the same wow uh the air temperature is supposed to be similar to your body temperature and i'm curious like in that part of egypt whether like is the sea nice and warm probably i don't know the air temperature probably quite nice and warm yeah. like roughly body yeah, temperature. yeah yeah so maybe you know hmm. be fascinating to know if that was something that i'm sure you know, for damn sure people were just getting in and lying in the water yeah, like yeah, you yeah, know yeah, yeah. yeah that story but whether people were using it as like a meditative experience consciously or, or not, I don't know. Yeah, cool. Well, look, I think 
I think the last thing left to do is just to actually go and do this. So, yeah. I have no idea. Honestly, like, I really have no idea what to expect. I purposely haven't looked into anything. Mm -hmm. Like, even, like, what's the tank going to look like? In my head, it's, like, what the Green Goblin goes into in Spider-Man or, like, what Captain America comes out of. I'm like, hey, and if I came out looking like Captain America, I'll be all right with it. But let's see. I'll be leaving them a big five-star review. But, yeah, heading into Hydro Ease here. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, bro, let's do it. Let's do it. I get a wee bit of fake uh, sound effects here. We're pretending to open the door just for the sake of editing. Nice. Oh, bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bro, we're on the other side of it. We are literally on the other side. Should I go first? Or should you? I think it's worth acknowledging that we came out of the float tanks, had a moment to like sit and talk about anything but the experience. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It was like when we did the Prince of Egypt, it's like, don't even think about Egypt in my presence. We need to save it for whenever the microphone's on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm super curious, given that it was your first experience to, I mean, I know that it was good. How was it for you, bro? Was it as good for you as it yeah. was for me? Yeah. So, so. <laughs> what a gentleman. <laughs> yeah, so what I'll say is like, I did go into it with a very open mind. And I really liked... So we met Viv, the owner of Hydroese, before we went in. And it was one of those like podcast moments where she was telling us all this amazing stuff. And I was like, oh, Matthew, why'd you not bring your recorder in? But the good news is we're actually doing a full episode with very soon all about her life story that makes me feel a lot less worse about not coming with like all the facts and figures <laughs> so Viv's gonna nail that way better yeah than I was so going to. we'll definitely get into a lot of the kind of uh the flute stuff with her and some of the science behind it she was just like firing off on all cylinders like lots of really interesting things about trauma lots of really kind of personal anecdotes of her experiences with the float tank and just to kind of tease it and dangle it out a little bit more uh, Viv's story is going to be shared as part of our addiction series that we're uh, rolling out in February. And, mate, I know I've talked to you quite a lot about it, and I've sent you some snippets of some of the episodes so far, but it is, like, dude, it is shaping up to be, like, maybe one of the things I'm most proud of, like, from my podcast and journey so far. So there you go. There's a big bit of clickbait. But, yeah, so I went in with a really open mind. I was, like, fully kind of open to, like, am I going to have any kind of, like, visual experiences? Am I going to see anything? And I have to say, like, my experience was more of, like, a bodily experience than I was mm -hmm. expecting. And what I mean by that is I just was, like, more aware than I probably ever have been in my life of, like, my own body. And also, like, areas of tension and pain that I had, which I didn't really know I had before. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's maybe kind of, like, a, a weird place to start or, like, not exactly the, the poster uh, boy uh, sales pitch but I really felt like so much tension in my neck and my shoulders mm -hmm. and like it was amazing to kind of like first be aware of that because like my big like really practical takeaway from this is like I'm going to incorporate some like neck stretching into my like daily routine now yeah because I already have like I've been really leaning into a lot more yoga and stretching the last couple of months so it's like easy peasy I can literally just like bop it in 
and then to feel that slowly start to kind of take care of itself throughout the hour and hear all the cracks and the creaks and the rumbling and just be so kind of aware of what was happening in your body like and I just you know you hear all these things I expected to hear nothing it's like your body's so loud you're like what the heck is going on here and definitely like what I will say is like I will absolutely be back again and I'm really excited to kind of do a few more because I feel like and Vivian mentioned this before we went in I feel like definitely the first 10 minutes was me just kind of like easing into it like whoa like what's happening here like what like what way do I put my neck like just settling in and now that I kind of I'm through that I feel like the next time I come it'll be like straight into uh, a place of like I'm looking at the word hydro ease so I'm saying the word ease probably too much I'm being subliminally marketed to ease 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 and I feel like it'll I'll be able to go kind of straight back into that kind of chilled out place that I eventually got to my only other point of reference to any other thing I've experienced before is probably like you ever done like a relatively long or intense yoga session and then at the end you end in is it shavasa or shavasa shavasana yeah yeah which is like the corpse pose so you're like lying on the mat like just lying there I actually find myself like returning to that sort of place of just kind of abandonment and just complete relaxedness and that feeling where you just feel the tension like releasing your body like I even notice like my jaw being clenched kind of maybe like 15 minutes in and I was like oh I'm just gonna slowly <laughs> release my jaw and lots of other parts of my body I just kind of felt that like oh do you know what I'm actually like kind of tense in this I'm just gonna let that go mm. and so by the end of it mate when I came out like honestly felt like I, I don't know what I, the only way I can describe it is it felt like I just had gone into some sort of like deep space mission <laughs> and I like was coming back after like 20 years of like a quest to Mars or something like that my ability to gauge time was just totally off like I really felt like it's been three weeks since I spoke to you last (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna go home to my family tonight and hug and kiss them and be like I've missed you so much and they're like bro it was a couple of hours (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's fascinating that uh, for me as well because I you know whenever I've gone back to the uh, float again I've felt the same thing that you were talking about there. Like, well, next time I go back, I'll be able to settle into this like really quickly. And each time it surprises me actually like, oh, I still need that like kind of 10 minutes. Mm. To... And this time it's funny, like even though that's happened in the past, I really thought like, well, you know, I've been meditating more recently. Like I'll just drop into yeah, it. Yeah, dude, dude, like I'm like, I've been working out. Like, my <laughs> yeah. muscles are, my brain muscles are super strong. I can jump in it. Yeah. I, I gotta say, like I kind of felt that too because I, you know, I did like a silent retreat over Christmas and I was like, okay. oh, bro, I'm coming to this super hot. Like, I'm just going to be like so epic at relaxing. You're like, bro, you clearly have got the wrong end of the, of the stick here. <laughs> yeah. Like, that in itself shows you that you, you have a lot more work to do. <laughs> 100%. And uh, yeah, that was fascinating for me, at least anyway, to like really see that um, similar to yourself, very similar experience. So like, okay, picking up the areas of tension in my body and like in the awareness of that, like you can start to let go. And yeah, and then actually having moments of like whenever you're really in it, 
And I know as soon as you have this thought, you're not really in it anymore, but like, oh, I'm really in it. <laughs> so you're like, oh, I'm in it. No, wait, I'm not in it. No, wait, this actual extra thought is means I'm really not in it. Bro, I'm super enlightened. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> There's an I in there. <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting for me personally to like, you know, even sort of rel- relevant to what Viv was saying at the start, like every one of those experiences is unique. But um, in on the other hand, I think there's definitely like commonalities between each session. And I don't know if that gets to the point if you were like floating every week or every day, like you do you drop in quicker, I would imagine. So it's been a long time, actually, it's probably given the times of the world we're in right now i don't know how much the center was open or closed but i certainly haven't been in since you know before 2020 actually so geez that's a couple of years bc before corona yeah bc time (laughs) so good to good to jump back in as well and i'm curious so you mentioned uh having the physical sensations and it was really all very like embodied was there anything like visual for you or is that something that you would experience in meditation so i kind of like i honestly like i went into this like being like all right visions come at me bro Uh because like i have experienced visions in the past and i would uh often think in quite kind of like visual metaphorical sort of ways and honestly man like it, it just didn't happen and again like Viv said something really interesting says the tank will always give you what you need and I, like I've walked away from it and I'm, I feel incredibly satisfied because I'm like I feel like I got what I needed today so the only kind of visual thing that I did have so I can't I kind of just lied to you because I had one thing mm-hmm. it's not maybe in the way that I was expecting it which is you know I mean when is it ever I heard and I need to ask Viv this actually I don't know if you heard this. I assume you didn't. I heard like this, it, like a cricket, like an insect making, like an insect cricket making a noise. Not like the the typical like uh, someone tells a joke and there's crickets. <laughs> like the really high pitched like, bree, 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 yeah. bree. but more like just the low grade hum of like lots and lots of like I think they're crickets or insects in fields and the only places I've ever experienced that are in Nepal and in Rwanda Mm. so I was like it it was kind of annoying me I was like is it like something to do with like the electric or like is it part of the tank and I was like no it definitely isn't it's part of you (laughs) but I I still don't know what part of me it was so I don't know if it was like slowly like my shoulders and kind of spine like creaking but it was very very constant but after a while I kind of just like gave into it and I gave into it and where it took me was Rwanda and I was thinking about Rwanda recently because I know this is kind of like unspiritually awoken to say this Rwanda is actually the only season in my life that if I had the chance I would like to go back to there's no other like and I've had some really lovely times and lovely experiences but I have no desire to return to any of them except for Rwanda. And I lived in Rwanda for three months and it was just after I finished school at 18 and I was living with these incredible uh, Rwandan dudes all my own age and then we had a slightly older guy 
um, from England who was kind of like there to take care of us <laughs> and kind of be our 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 leader. We called him Moses actually, which is kind of funny. Ooh, dun dun dun! <laughs> Look at the threads. And I just somehow ended up back in kind of the house that we were living in, and just was like able to kind of like walk around the house and like it was kind of weird each room I went into it was almost like a snapshot so no one was really moving but it was like a little moment in time that we had spent with each other that was really really enjoyable like I remember like every night we would kind of meet together to, to debrief for one of the dudes Eric one, Eric one of his excuse me one of the dudes Eric his bed we all would just like lie on the bed and just like do like a wee debrief and like the amount, like the amount of laughter we had around there was incredible, and like at the kitchen table, um, we started kind of like an advent calendar sort of thing, where you would stick your favorite quote up on the wall every single day. So each person had a turn to put their favorite quote up on the wall, and we were there for like I said three months. So by the end of it, the wall was like absolutely covered in all these quotes from like totally different experiences and cultures and. Uh, different worldviews and we stuck them up with Vaseline because we had no blue tag so like bits of paper and like Vaseline on the back of it and somehow it like did the trip we did clean the wall like crazy afterwards but sure it worked anyway like to cut a long story short like was just able to like walk around that village again and like go to different places that I haven't been before or sorry that I haven't been in a long time and that just was like a really beautiful experience for me because I kind of had that hankering recently to kind of return to some of those memories but wasn't really able to and I suppose the tank kind of gave me the the time and the space the sacred space uh, to really kind of go back to some of those places so yeah that's fascinating I did actually have the sensation of like there being uh, a noise that I couldn't pinpoint is like is that within my body or mm. is that something with the tank and is yeah, it's like, something? is this a spiritual experience, or like, <laughs> is there like a little like tick in like the mechanism? <laughs> yeah. So that was really interesting too, and also like I think I got to the same place as like ultimately, if consciousness is all one thing, <laughs> um, like it's all you know, it's all within me anyway. So whatever. <laughs> um, That's why I love hanging out with you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so I let go of the like, is that some external thing, or is that uh, like, um, you know, just within my body? And uh, for me. I definitely drifted off at some stage, like to sleep, mm. and that felt really cool. It definitely wasn't after I'd really dropped into a meditative place, though. And for me, there was if anything was coming visually, it was really abstract. So, something, and I don't know if this is something you've experienced in meditation before, but like with the space behind closed eyes because you never really stop seeing anything. I mean, when you close your eyes, you're seeing the back of your eyelids, really. That's what tripped me about the tank the most. At points, I didn't know whether my eyes were open or closed. Oh, it really, it really tripped me, like, in a good way. (laughs) You you seldom ever get pitch black. Mm -mm. And in that, like, pure darkness space, like, what I would get... Um, although we don't even necessarily need pure darkness, but this uh, visualization of 
what I would like kind of describe as if you were in a room and the light source was moving around in the room. So there's like some vague sense of there's a light behind my closed eyes mm. and it's like moving around a wee bit. And I was getting that coming up. Um, from what I've like, I remember the first times that happened. And this was like not long after discovering the Wim Hof method, like Googling it. And I was like, is this the thing that happens? <laughs> <laughs> and like, it is seemingly like a It's fairly... a classic Google question. Bright light behind eyes. <laughs> yeah, Am I okay? <laughs> <laughs> Med MD. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it seems to be like a fairly, you know, like an experience that people do report. And that was really coming up for me that time. But there's another interesting thing as well. And I'm curious about this. As I got to the point where I'd obviously like drifted off to sleep in there. I feel like me- like a true meditative state is like the perfect balance between rest and focus. Mm. And like if you're too focused, you're not truly in the space and you're like hyper aware. And Yeah, it's like kind of like what we joked about, like bringing like the workout mentality to your meditation practices. Yeah. Like you're, you're trying too hard. Do you know what I mean? It's like you're bringing too much effort here. Like Yeah. So there's that side, but on the other side, like if you're too relaxed, you know, you're not truly in the meditative space either. You're like going to sleep. Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Um. So at some stage, I felt like I drifted back into the like, uh, I say too relaxed, but that's like the assumption that you have to be in the state. Yeah. Too relaxed to be in a true meditative state is probably a better way to express that. And that actually felt really good for me because I would normally lean into the other way and I'd be like, okay, meditation time. White focus. knuckle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah like, what is this sensation scan, buddy? <laughs> Quickly scan. Quickly, the mind has wandered. Activate monkey up and down the lamppost metaphor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas this time I was like, oh, just pass out. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Just let it go in the immortal world, words of Elsa, you know. And, uh, yeah, the... Uh, words that you'd shared from what vivid explained beforehand like the tank giving you what you need it was like that was exactly that feeling and something that actually i wanted to bring into this part of the podcast too was something that i touched on the end of our conversation with viv and a lot of her language was very very related to language that i've heard people talking about the psychedelic experience in the mm-hmm. past mm-hmm. she talked about uh, accessing like a sacred space and the tank giving you what you need that's like absolutely what I've heard the language uh, around like going into a psychedelic experience especially in a ceremonial or medicinal setting and uh, no two experiences being the same and I suppose it touches kind of on what we were talking about before it's like this is absolutely on the same continuum of yeah. that kind of thing yeah do you know what else it, it made me think of do you remember like it wasn't even supposed to be in the episode i think it was our first esoteric ramble and we talked about like shepherds having vision because they had a lack of sensory input yeah i feel like that's why we're here today yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it, it it i really had that thought a few times because i was like wow like this is a moment where there's just nothing. And the the only experience I can, or if I'm trying to put it in the words, I just felt like 
I was awake while being asleep. <laughs> no, that sounds like an indie band name, but like, I promise, like, I, I genuinely mean it. It's like I was able to experience the sensation of being totally asleep and in that dreamlike state, but not disappearing. Because you know, when you know, you sleep and then you wake up and like 10 hours could have passed, but for you, it feels like literally 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't like that for me. Like, it genuinely felt like three hours in there. Mm hmm not even in a bad way but it was like this extension of time I feel like time like really kind of stretched itself out and I try this sounds maybe a bit niche but we would practice like a weekly uh, Sabbath as a family and in a way part of our goal with our Sabbath is to try to make time feel as long as possible wow that might sound like kind of counterintuitive because usually like we're always trying to do the opposite but that's exactly kind of why we do it like we try to do things very slowly and very deliberately we try to avoid any kind of like distractions that would really kind of make time accelerate things like screens all that sort of stuff and it just gives you like a total sense of slowing down and a chance to catch your breath and a chance to there's an African story of I'm Rwanda on the brain now, so I'll just share it. So you ever heard the term Mzungu? I don't think so. So actually. in East Africa, like Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, it's the word that they use for white man. Oh, I haven't so heard that. So all the time, like when we we would walk through the villages, like people would come out and they'd be like, Mzungu, Mzungu, Mzungu. Like it's just what we're called. And I was sorry to interrupt a second. Is it like pejorative as well? Is it like... No, not really. No. No, it's it's kind of just like descriptive. Okay. Um, And then, yeah, so I kind of like asked the question. I was like, what does that mean? And they were like, white man. I was like, no, 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 but like, what does it mean? Mm. And so they told a story. Mate, this is awesome. And it was a story of, it was, I think, maybe a scientist or like some sort of like animal conservationist. Or let's just say a missionary. Like those are going to be the the, the three main people that are going to be in Africa to, to to start with. And they were out on like an ex- expedition, and they had hired two like local guides to. No, it definitely was something to do with animals. And so basically, they were like going from this place to this place to this place, and they would wake up super early in the morning and like travel and like travel cross country and like go to this new village to find this new animal and then they would go to bed and the next morning they would like go somewhere else and apparently like by the third day the africans like turned around to the scientists and were like we refuse to go any further and the scientist was like why and he says because we've been traveling so fast our souls haven't had a chance to catch up with our bodies wow and so the term mzungu when you look at it it means one who's head constantly spins around wow (laughs) and if there's if there's ever a description for like the modern world it's like we are people whose faces are constantly spinning around we're going here we're going there we're looking at this we're looking at that and there's never a chance just to kind of like be still and keep your head quote on you know yeah to follow the story keep your head kind of still and uh, yeah, in a very esoteric way, I feel like that's what the tank was able to give me. Give me a chance like for my soul to catch up with my body. That's like very relevant to uh, a poem that came up recently. And maybe we even we were talking about the John O'Donoghue oh, one. Give it to us. Yeah, there's like a line in there that is literally that. It's it's uh, The poem is about, it's four people that 
I think it's for people that are exhausted. Mm. And there's a line in there about um, your soul has traveled further than, uh, you know, you've traveled too quickly over ground and now you're catching up. And it's like, it's like how insane is that that like people from unless potentially he's heard that but i like to believe that uh concepts like that run so deep that people from very different parts of the world will pick that out of whatever Mm. it's a collective unconscious or something yeah 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 yeah. um that an irish poet and somebody from rwanda can have this same ultimate understanding yeah yeah so cool like i really am fascinated by like the idea of stretching out time like one of the books I read over Christmas was uh, by a monk and he, the book was called Falling Upwards um, and I think the, the guy's called Richard Rohr and he mentions this in a lot of his work he talks about deep time and deep time I'm going to butcher this is like whenever you experience not just like the fast paced present moment but like you kind of experience time on a big picture level where you like see yourself in your family lineage in this generation in this point in human history you also see kind of like the people who are coming after you and like your kids kids and you know society and maybe like 30 years after you die and he says we have removed all opportunities to connect with deep time in our culture and as a result like our souls are kind of left starved or we're not able to see the context in which we live I think that's a really interesting concept where, you know, we're kind of like caught up in the day to day and that's cool. But like, unless you have a wider context for why you're doing something, it can feel like very purposeless and meaningless. And I think like quite a disconnecting experience as well. But that's probably a topic for another time. The meaning of life. <laughs> I don't know. Like, What it made me think about actually was like, how uniquely Western is that? Because mm-hmm. I've heard uh, this idea before from... Uh, somebody who I think was born and spent most of their life in China and had moved to the West so they'd experienced life in both places and not even necessarily the West in America. wish I could remember who this was. But um, they'd expressed that the idea of the American dream is like so alien to like somebody who has been born and raised in China and the American dream is all focused around the self and small time you know like Mm. this like direct experience of uh, just right now and how important that the self is in that to live the American dream to you know fulfill your fantasy basically and to a Chinese person the their priority isn't like the self but it's to China and in the greater sense because it, you know I don't know if it's fair to call it like an ethno-national kind of thing because like China is mostly like Han Chinese and mm-hmm. um, within that the, the self is less important than the idea of this ethno-nationality yeah, yeah, and yeah, the yeah, prospering yeah. of that yeah I give you a real brutal example. I'll dial the conversation down a couple of notches, but like I think the first time the West was really confronted with that in a really explicit way was the kamikaze pilots of yeah. Japan. Yeah, same kind of concept. You know, because it's like if if an American pilot would, um, you know, crash their plane and and sacrifice themselves for like some specific reason, 
it would be like national hero like oh my goodness can you believe he did that whereas it was like a fairly regular practice in air quotes Mm. like for their their military strategy if they saw the opportunity like they would take it and that's just so far removed from like our point of reference in the west it's very very interesting this is really a rabbit hole but i heard this and this is like you know this is really in the realm of like complete theory but i did hear something one time where they were trying to like explain the difference between capitalism and communism from the point of agriculture you ever heard this before no i don't think so, so. i like the, the kind of like the fastest way to say it is that uh in the west like we grow vegetables and food that can be managed by like a family so things like a potato things like carrots you know your family with your 12 children would do that you would run the farm you would have your field and then next your next door neighbors would have their fields and they would kind of do their thing so if you had like a bumper crop one year like your family was rich and your family was celebrating but if you all your crops failed one year like you guys would be like on the poverty line and like don't know what to do so the success of the the crops like was a very individual experience whereas allegedly in the east things like rice fields require like a whole community to take care of them yeah so if there was a bumper crop that year it would benefit the whole community rather than just like one individual family within it food for thought (laughs) (laughs) yeah literally that's fascinating though like the to like tie it back into what you said though about was it deep time Mm. you know like is does is there more of an appreciation of deep time from those who haven't been brought up in the West? Because, like, that's an extreme example because it helps to, like, get into the analysis of this, mm-hmm. of, like, you know, what is a life worth? But ultimately, like, they're zooming out and they're seeing, like, the the generations after and, like, the self is less important. Yeah. And there might you know like from within your own frame of reference there's always an assumption that like you're kind of right yeah, there is. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like well that's kind of dumb because it doesn't honor the the soul or the self or something like that and all the like stuff that we've been raised in culturally i mean like on a kind of lesser level but the same sort of thing i made to think of do you remember the china olympics and there was like the bird's nest stadium this like big stadium that was built in nope. Beijing and like a lot of people died in the making of it and like imagine that happened in like for London. the London Olympics yeah, yeah, or whatever yeah. like five people died in the making of this like it would just be like their names it probably be named after them yeah, yeah. And, like so whenever you look at that from a western point of view it seems really callous or something mm-hmm. it seems like well they just didn't give a shit that like yeah. they're um, compatriots gave their lives to this yeah. uh, project but from their point of view like maybe they're seeing things from a greater perspective in a sense and I know that there's not a right or wrong from either way but it, there's maybe some value in looking at that and not necessarily just going with the feeling of like well that's wrong <laughs> mm. I think like <laughs> To answer your question, I mean, we need to go and talk to someone who, or or, or Zoom somebody who uh, was brought up and deeply embedded in Eastern culture. But like my sense is that, yeah, they probably are connected more to deep time. 
and I'm reading a book at the minute called Hold On to Your Kids by Gabor Mate. Oh, brilliant. And I know Viv is a big fan of Gabor and she spoke a lot today about trauma and as soon as she did it, like all the Gabor stuff was like flying in my head. Mm. But he talks a lot about intergenerational communities Mm. and how important they are and how we were never meant to live in like these nuclear families with like mom, dad, kids and then that's it. And then we have to drive everywhere to see everybody. It's like, no, 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 no. It's like, you were supposed to be part of, like, this wider village. You know, the, the literally the African proverb, like, it takes a village to raise a child, like, was supposed to be an actual reality of life. And I think, like, we're just so disconnected from... Um, this is going to step on some toes, but I'll just say it anyway. Like, we're so disconnected from life and death. And what I mean by that is, like, raising our kids... It's kind of like something that society does behind closed doors and on the sidelines. Mm. And because of the economic realities that we find ourselves in, you know, we're giving our kids over to daycare, like from a really early age. Mm. And really interesting, the exact same thing happens at end of life. The care of our elderly is happening on the fringes in society, behind closed doors, in care homes, not inside kind of the village or not inside the the family unit or in the house just to put it bluntly and i think our detachment from that in combination with like i always talk with people who were brought up on a farming background where they were just surrounded by death always you know like their sheep would die Mm -hmm. or you know their crops would fail or they were kind of faced with the brutal reality of life and nature that i think if you grew up in the town like i did you didn't really get but i think you, you lose something because it means you're living in this kind of like unreality this weird false version of life that whenever hardship does come or you're faced with life or death it kind of punches you in the face because you weren't expecting it mm-hmm. and i think being connected to that wider intergenerational community can kind of give you more of a context for life and help you navigate those hard and really beautiful times in your life because you're with people who have experienced all of it rather than just your little tiny family you know a strange connection there to something that we talked about before is that kind of suppose there's a theory where that kind of ties into agriculture as well oh let's go yeah (laughs) so uh there's this idea that um like hunter gatherers um before you know like the land was like there when people were nomadic it didn't matter so much who uh was the father of a child Mm. because like the village more or less raised the child yeah but whenever people had like their land and separate land it became very important to know like that's my child (laughs) and my child gets the land yeah 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 so Slash, I have to feed that kid. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so like the the there's like already like starts to be a separation there because whenever and this like leans into like really like quite complex ideas about um were humans initially like polyamorous, you know, like in yeah, yeah. uh a village because there's certain cultures, I think it was 
Inuit people. I really hope I haven't got that wrong. I like. I wanted to use the word Eskimo, but I think that's not politically it's correct. No longer politically correct. No. So but my I, apologies. I, the, the, <laughs> it's in that weird transition period where you have to refer. You have to make the thing. Oh yes, and used to be called Eskimos, but that's not politically correct because the general, the general swath of like people don't aren't necessarily familiar with Inuit. Yes. The, so yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's like a really kind of awkward little moment in like Inuit language history where it's yeah. like you kind of have to bridge both, you know? Yeah, it's like, see those people that most of you think of as Eskimo? That, that's not right anymore, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll move really, to like spelling it out. It's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. So I think, I believe anyway in that culture, and God, if I've got that wrong as well, what I'm going to say next is I'm really blown out of the water with the old Inuits. <laughs> Our North Pole audience are going to be raging. Yeah. <laughs> or they're going to be like, you know what, this guy knows our culture. Yeah, like, thank you for, I feel so seen right now. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like, I believe that was a part of their culture where, um, like, when Western people went there, um, like it was uh somehow similar to 60s free love vibe <laughs> and like when western people first went there stop trying to sleep with me what are you I'm married yeah it's like well this is like part of our you know culture yeah. and um yeah so like that this is like an example of like a culture that hadn't um that were nomadic so you know like they didn't have this necessity of like this is my land and i have to know who my kids are to to pass that on and uh yeah i you know the transition to uh a culture where away from our hunter gatherer roots like it's a step all continual steps away from our nature and i don't necessarily believe that there's like like the luddite view of like let's all go back to like wandering around in forests and like picking berries and like killing a wild deer because you know there are that that is regressive but um i feel like it's worth at least having that in our awareness and related to some of the things that we've talked about of like perhaps that was the process of um aggrandizing the self to where we lose perspective of that deep time Mm. and at least question you know is that right is that wrong is there you know some good things to be taken from it is there more benefit from at least in the awareness of it appreciating another perspective yeah a little quick kind of practical thing I'll add on top of that is, and Gabor talks about this, the beauty of the village or the intergenerational community is that it can kind of like paper over slash make up for kind of bad parenting. Yeah. Because like in our society where predominantly people live with a parent or both parents in a house, like and it's just them it's so insular so like any kind of like big trauma or big flaw in any of the parents is so amplified because it's in the echo chamber whereas like if you're in the village with the tribe and you have got like 20 uncles and like your your teacher like it's like really like a family friend you know it, it kind of it shares the burden and the load of parenting in a way that actually benefits the child so it is interesting i mean we've talked before about on on the show like part of my big journey with depression and finding relief from depression to the point where i can 
manage it is by thinking about and trying to live in some areas of my life the same way like our our ancestors would have mm-hmm. you know the hunter gatherer like what did their lives look like what did they eat what were some of the practices they did that our bodies are designed for that we've let slip in the western world without really thinking about it we've accidentally you know oh like this food tastes great this is so yummy this is so delicious and then like a few years later you're like oh damn this is kind of <laughs> killing us it's kind of like cigarettes you know whenever cigarettes just came along it's like everyone's like this is awesome doctors are smoking it and then like you know a few years down the line you're like oh, we gotta do a little little course correct here ladies and gentlemen <laughs> yeah and like that is a, a really good way of looking at it i think you know with the development of our culture over time you know there's just a lot of course correct going on i suppose that yeah uh you know perfect example is like smoking or you know certain types of processed foods or whatever and you know this is part of the reason why you and i do what we do you're like sharing you're talking openly about this so that there potentially can it's like part of a wave that does course correct back from that Mm. and like for example the a development of things like central heating or whatever have allowed people to get very comfortable and never use their ability to regulate their body temperature on the inside so a course correct for that isn't to like shut down everyone's central heating it's like get in the scene out again and like train that part even like the idea of going to a gym you know not all that long ago in human history the idea of going into a specific place to lift heavy things would just be seen as preposterous so hilarious but like this is one of our course corrects like Mm -hmm. this is the world that uh we've developed for all the pros and how do we mitigate the the drawbacks from that okay well we'll like lean back into some of the stuff that our ancestors did and ultimately i think it comes i think it's a really helpful thing to do what you said to like look to our ancestors because it's like square peg in a square hole you know Mm. like what are we made for yeah generally i think people are happier whenever it's square peg in a square hole and you're not trying to like yeah fit into something that we don't really yeah the other kind of thing that just triggered in my head there whenever you were speaking was this idea that i completely lost my train of thought (laughs) (laughs) those float tanks man remember we just went for a float oh no no i got it i (laughs) got it dude i was just floating man i just (laughs) lost my train of thought um oh i nearly lost it again flip me (laughs) that was scary i'm so i'm so relaxed it's just coming and going yeah uh deep time we voice crack and all Culture and wisdom was always passed down through elders. And it was passed down very slowly. So it was passed down on like a generation by generation basis. And that kind of happened until I'm going to say like, I'm sure like some history buffs can kind of like slap me for this. I'm just going to say like the 1800s. And then like all of a sudden, like things started moving very, very quickly and then, like, by the 1900s, like, even faster. And then if you look at even our lifetimes, like, exponential. Mm-hmm. Like, the rate of change and the rate of new technology and everything has been astronomical. And I think that that's why we're having to do such extreme course corrects. Because the change has been so quick and we've been 
taken away so aggressively from what we were designed to experience that now we're having to do seemingly extreme things, you know, and people are going on all sorts of extreme diets and they're working. Even diets that are in direct opposition to each other, whether it's 100% plant-based or all you eat is meat. You know, people are doing some really quote-unquote crazy things. But I'm kind of like, do you know what? It, it's going to take a little bit of extremeness in moderation to, <laughs> to try to bring us back to that place. It's a really valid point, actually, that like over, you know, in the in the 200, 300 year span that like anatomically modern humans been around, there probably has been a very gradual shift and change in our culture and how things are. And then like the last couple of hundred years just went mental. <laughs> yeah, like the big shift for our ancestors would be like shifting from eating berries and meat mm-hmm. to then all of a sudden like eating things that you would grow. Yeah. So, and you, you know, you probably had generations of like your stomach getting used to like something like a potato. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Whereas now it's just kind of like, hey man, have you had this total blue gummy bear thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking. It's like going from like the things that you, berries you find in the forest to a potato, and then in a couple of hundred years, it's like to pop tarts or something. It's like what the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like uh, have you ever, have you heard of Mountain Dew, caveman? It's like oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. A caveman would probably die if you give him like a full meal of some of the stuff we eat. His body would probably just freak out. I think that one of the best pieces of advice I've ever read or heard about food, and this was from Michael Pollan, like a, I believe he's a journalist and author. Um, he said like one of the best pieces of advice across all different types of like no matter what your diet is or your intolerances and all the rest mm-hmm. of it, uh, only eat things that your great grandparents would have recognised as food. Oh man, that is so good, right? <laughs> like they're not gonna recognize pop tarts as food. It's like, what is this thing? I mean, if they have more than one ingredient, you're probably doing it wrong. Yeah, on the label. That was another thing he said as well. It was like the less ingredients on the label, the better. If it doesn't have a label, better still. <laughs> that dude, I was talking about this the other day. I was like, imagine if you made a commitment, and this is twofold, like on a nutrition level, but also on an environmental level. If you only ate food that didn't come in a packaging. Like, mate, there's a cult-like like diet fad waiting to happen here. You and I could launch oh, yeah. it off the, the packaging-free diet or the label-free diet. Oh, oh man. The <laughs> label-free diet. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. And, you know, like, how, if you brought that out, it's funny, like, how extreme that would seem. And people yeah. would be like, these people are fucking ridiculous, eating food without packets. But that's, but that's <laughs> perfect. Like, that's the sort of extremeness that, like, uh, cults are formed on. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Because <laughs> there's certain certain uh, small percentage of the population that are like, I'm in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the more extreme it is, like, the more I want it. <laughs> but isn't that funny, though, as well? Like, how it's become so extreme to do what humans did for all, like, basically almost all the 99% of our, our existence. Like, this is, not a, I'm, this is not a binding commitment that I'm announcing publicly, but for the last... Since September, so I don't know, for the last, say, call it four months, I have removed sugar and alcohol from my diet. Awesome. And there, it was started off as a one-month experiment after I read Dopamine Nation by Anna Lemke, who I'm going to be releasing a conversation with recently, which is like my biggest fangirl moment ever. Um, her work really convinced me all about dopamine and 
down-regulating your system and doing a dopamine fast. Anyway, another story for another time. So I did it for a month, and I it just I felt so great that I've just continued that month, and I'm just taking it one month at a time and giving myself full permission to change and course correct as you go. But, mate, people are so offended when I tell them about it. Or like if they're like you like you're out for like you're out with friends and like you know it's dessert time or they're ordering like an alcoholic beverage, people are like take it personally that like you're not doing that. Like there's like you know what I mean? It's almost like it's like an aggressive thing to do is to like eat the way people would have eaten. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's an like it's because that there there's an inherent judgment of that way of being. It's so hard to communicate it. I try my best to like do it with like. Listen, I don't mind if you. Yeah, you know, I know. But, uh... It's like it's so hard, dude. And I actually, I notice this with like parenting as well, because there's mm-hmm. there's certain things like let's just say around like screens and sugar that we try to be um, countercultural with. There you go. It's very diplomatic way to say it. <laughs> and it's so hard to communicate some of those things to other parents because you don't want to seem like you're sitting on like a high horse or like judging the way they do things you know but at the end of the day like as long as your delivery is not like super sarky uh i feel like it's it's on other people and again i I say that as a receiver of things as well where there are some things where that people do or that people point blank would criticize me over that it's my the way i react to those things is my responsibility you know i can't blame people for how i feel you know what I mean? It's like no. you blame yourself for how you feel. Yeah, that's that's something really interesting too that, you know, it is within each individual because if that didn't touch something inside the person that they already kind of know, there wouldn't be the, the hurt reaction. You know, like if you didn't want the dessert and that person who gets pissed off at you for it and like gives you a hard time about it, if they didn't have some part of them inside themselves that kind of felt like you know what rightly or wrongly felt like the the dessert was not in their best interest mm. they wouldn't be attacking you because they're not really attacking you they're attacking the idea that lurks within themselves you ever, you ever read the uh, the war of art no, but I've had it like recommended so many times. He ta- he calls that resistance, and he says like, whenever you start to overcome the resistance in your own life, be careful because the people around you will start waging war against you because you're bringing into their awareness like their own resistance, like the areas where they're not kind of like battling and stuff. So, yeah, and that's a real thing then to like stand in your integrity and like the 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 spin off from that like the amount of lessons to because then again like if someone criticizes you you know then if that touches something inside you again it becomes like an internal thing as well it's like it's not to point the finger it's like oh everyone's so like awful because they judged me for not, yeah, 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 yeah 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 you know yeah. eating the dessert it's like why does that bother me exactly exactly yeah. Yeah, look man, you gotta just keep going back to that place where it's just you floating in the tank <laughs> with no stimuli and you know, all the noise is gone and you just gotta think to yourself and and you know, I did think about the slot when we were in. I was like, Am I happy in this moment? Mm. Happy's the wrong word. Like, am I content yeah. in this moment? And 
if the answer's no, then I feel like there's probably a little bit of work that needs to be done. Because really, like, this is so uh, wanky, but like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I kind of was like, is this what it was like before I was born? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I was like, you're just existing. And it was a nice feeling. Mm. But I, I would I categorically know that if you had to drop me in that tank at a different season of my life, I would have got out in ten minutes. I couldn't I couldn't have handled it. Yeah, like Or I wouldn't have enjoyed <clears throat> the act of simply being, you know. I think there is like the deepest thing to think about can arise from time in the float tank. And like that's really questioning the nature of the self and consciousness like when you're in there and everything else is stripped away what arises up in your consciousness and Mm. you know like if there is a dissatisfaction as opposed to like a contentedness in there you're absolutely right there's like there's healing to be done and one thing that I feel to be true and this is like disclaimer this is my feeling (laughs) 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 I feel that Scott's feelings are not a doctor (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly I feel that there are a few things if anything more healing than just giving time, space, and attention to what arises up in your awareness. If you if you really take it back to like what you truly are, like we talked about this in earlier podcasts, like all the labels that I associate with myself, they can all come and go. You know, like I could have amnesia and forget my name. I yeah. could bump my head and completely change my personality. Yeah, you could, can all of a sudden with one tick of a box, turn yourself from someone who votes for the DUP to someone who votes for Sinn Féin. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, instantly. Like, you could do that just like, boom. Yeah. <laughs> so all those things, like, they they are not who I am. These mm. are, like, things that happen within, like, my awareness. True. Like, if you really get back to it, and I'm absolutely not the first person to come to this conclusion, like many people over many times from many different cultures come to the same understanding that like really all I actually am is the awareness of what's arising. Mm-hmm. And what you are aware of in most moments is quite noisy. So like through the senses, you know, even as we're sitting here right now, I can see the skip. <laughs> I can see, <laughs> you know, the the lit up hydroese sign. I can hear the rumbling of the engine. You know, the all the senses are like bombarded, and you know, I've lived a whole lifetime of that. So, you know, I I get the sense of of self that isn't uh, that isn't like just the awareness because I never really get access to the awareness mm-hmm. because this it's always filled with so much stuff yeah. so, so you go into the tank and you strip so much of it away and then what's left mm. you yeah <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're left with your damn self for a moment totally not. and I believe it is in those moments where you can be with your 
authentic self as the space and the awareness if you can let the discomfort come up into that and give it time space and awareness without resistance like it will eventually move through because like if you think about literally resistance is the thing holding on to it Mm -hmm. but to give an example that i think probably most people can relate to uh, anger is usually the best example of this if you if you're angry about something and it's like some story like say your football team lost or whatever um if i you might be pissed off about that all day yeah but if you take that person you say okay listen i want you to like remove yourself from the story of why you're angry and the the football team and everything i just want you to be really really angry for as long as you possibly can just be in anger what does that feel like good luck trying to make that last any more than like two or three minutes <laughs> it will extinguish itself because there's like no nothing holding on anymore and uh i believe that's the same of like sadness and and you know all these other like perceived like challenging things if you can just like give it the time space and awareness without resistance like good luck try, like trying to hold on to that mm. then it'll, it will move through and i feel like that's potentially the most healing thing that almost that that is possible whether it's in the tank whether it's like through a meditation experience or a plant medicine experience or whatever mm-hmm. um there's a lot of these healing modalities that ultimately get people to feel a thing without resistance and let it move yeah. through yeah. and they're clearer as a result and i mean like what you're talking about is like you're trying to remove obstacles that hold you back from getting to that place of awareness mm-hmm. and even like even just literally whenever you said that i was like you know, like a like a less hardcore version of that is like going out for a walk. Yeah, you know, perfect. Because c- yeah. you're removing some of this the sensory overloading experiences, and you're just in a flow state, walking through nature. I find it's particularly nice. Either if you're completely lost, or you have to be one of the two extremes, completely lost, or like on a, a route that you walk all the time, mm-hmm. you can kind of just like disconnect and just kind of like go. Um, this is cool. We've arrived at kind of like the last thing I want to say in this episode and maybe it's a strange place but you ever read Dune by Frank Herbert Mm -mm. so I just I saw it in the cinema and then I read the book and I really really liked the book I don't know why like it really hit me but they had like there's this quote in it and it's like a mantra that they repeat and it says I must not fear fear is the mind killer fear is the little death that brings total (laughs) obliteration and then this is the bit that is relevant to what you said I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path where the fear has gone and there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Exactly. Like, that's so beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you let that move through. And ultimately, like so many other things, it feels like life life is geared up to teach you that almost. Mm. Like... I feel even with the stories of the self, so the things that we talked about as like labels or whatever, all of those will come and go. So, so things that you identify with as you're growing up, it might be like, oh, I'm quite athletic or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, maybe somebody's like really beautiful and they identify as like a beautiful person. By the nature of time, you will lose your athletic prowess or you're like what's culturally perceived to be beautiful so life 
and the nature of time will strip away all your labels, wow. whether you like it or not. Yeah. And I feel like life will just constantly keep teaching, let go, let go, let go. That's another kind of like cultish thing. Oh my goodness. Like you, like there's literally a life philosophy that you could kind of spearhead where it's like life is just up, like the process of living is just constantly having your labels stripped from you. Ultimately, that's what I actually believe is the journey. Like wow. I feel like the ultimate end point of that and i don't know if this is possible within the human experience like maybe this is jesus maybe this is the buddha but somebody who has fully embodied the knowledge like truly embodied not in their head like fully embraced and embodied the knowledge that they are not a self and Mm. that they are the all yeah and they like as awareness like that's and like I can sit here and talk about that and know it in my head. Have I fully embodied that? Absolutely so not. So, so hard. But I feel like that's the journey. Yeah. And life teaches you that because, like, you will take steps away from being the all into a self. Mm-hmm. And then through the nature of time, learn, like, that's not true. That's not true. Mm-hmm. That's not true. The only truth is awareness Yeah. as the one thing. Still can't believe you haven't read the book called Awareness. I know. It's still sitting. <laughs> it's actually sitting by my bed now, so it's yes, a, a step it's, closer. It, it's like it's crawling into your life. Yeah, like you're like, how did that book get there? Oh, <laughs> yeah, be gone. Um, yeah, crazy. So much to say. So much to say. I think there is a Jesus quote where he says, "If you hold on to your life, you'll lose it. Mm. But if you give it away, you'll find it." That's awesome. Butcher paraphrase. Matthew Thompson, limited. Um, the other thing, other reaction I kind of have to what you say is like the experience of parenting so far has been like a constant stripping of the labels. Like you have a newborn and the child's like so dependent on you and you're like, oh, well, I'm the one that like rocks her to sleep. And all of a sudden she doesn't need that anymore. Mm. You know, and she's only like, she's under two. So I can't imagine what it's like whenever she's like 20 and out of the house and like, maybe having her own family mm-hmm. and you're like whoa like so you're given this label as parent and then it's just like taken away from you mm-hmm. in different different ways and different styles over your life um okay last thing i want to kind of hear your thoughts on this is a tim ferris thing and it's actually he he usually talks about it in the realm of psychedelic experiences but he's broadened it out and i love it it's a quote from him and it says the thing that prevents you from the task is the task. So I'll give you an example, okay? I think he was involved in some sort of, let's just say, ayahuasca ceremony. And I don't know if this is his story or the story of somebody else. There was someone next to him that kept making really crazy noises, you know, screaming, groaning. They were going through their own stuff. And it was like infuriating the person like that was next to them. Mm-hmm. And the whole time they were just so annoyed and they went to the shaman. Would it be a shaman that runs yeah. them? So they went to the shaman and was like, you got to stop this person. Like they're really annoying me. And the shaman just turned around and says, that's your task for this experience mm-hmm. is to become comfortable with that. So the person did all this work, like trying to like become comfortable and not get angry at the person. Why are you disturbing my time? Why are you da da da? And at the end of the retreat, they turned around 
and they saw that it was the radiator making the noise. Oh, <laughs> that's something. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I've just, that story has like always just resonated with me because it's, it's hilarious how you can't get angry in an inanimate object, really. Like the same way you can get angry at a person. And as soon as they realize it was the radiator, like it diffused like all kind of tension in their body. But also, like, there are some things in your life that just keep bugging you that you're like, oh, if I just got rid of this thing, then. And what I found in my very, very limited experience of, you know, 26 years is that often those things that bug you are kind of that's your task, that's your mission. And a little silly example is like, I totally got salt in my eyes multiple times during this floating experience. But I, I had that in my head, which I'm really grateful for. And I just leaned into it. I was like, okay, you're going to experience the sensation of pain in your eyes. And you're just going to feel that. Don't be afraid. Don't try to run from it. Don't freak out. And just sit with it, like you say, like sit with the discomfort. And I've been doing that in so many different areas of my life. Like, maybe sounds a bit sadist, I promise. I'm doing it in healthy ways. But, like, even, like, going for a walk in the morning and it's like your hands are cold and it's just like, do you know what? My gloves are in my pocket. I'm just going to feel the sensation of my hands being a little bit cold. I know for a fact they're not going to fall off with frostbite on this 15-minute walk in Northern Ireland. And But just sitting with it and allowing that discomfort just to kind of, like, be in your awareness and just being okay with it. That's literally all I have to say. I would just love to hear your thoughts on that, and then we can get something deep. I think that you're talking about the process of alchemy. <laughs> so <laughs> Right, tell me. That is the literal transmutation of suffering into stillness. Right. Is it... I just knew you would have something to say. Truly that. suffering anymore if you fully accept something? Mm. You know, like, if... Because like the big difference between pain and suffering, you know, you've got the pain of the cold hands and you could suffer it and be like, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. But if you're truly like, I'm just going to experience this. Yeah. Is it actually even suffering anymore? Wow. Like that is lead into gold. <laughs> Scott! Hot damn. Okay, I do have something more to say. I lied. You've triggered it. Um, there's this thing you probably have come across it called acceptance therapy. Okay, talk. So I just I'll make it very very concrete. So, for example, like acceptance and is it called commitment therapy? ACT. Anyway, it's the idea that whenever uncomfortable emotions arise, you learn to accept them rather than push them away, and it's something that has legitimately moved the needle so much in my own journey with depression. Is whenever that black dog kind of pokes its nose up again my first reaction always was to freak out and like spiral into kind of like panic mode like oh no like it's going to happen again like oh no like what how am I going to do like oh no I've got so much work on this week I hope it doesn't affect it like da 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 instead of just being like okay there you are I see you and I feel what I'm feeling and just accepting that and not letting the train go mad not letting the train run away like crazy and just sitting with that and just saying okay this is how I feel this is reality 
what can I do? You know, I love the Alcoholics Anonymous mantra. I think it's called the Serenity Prayer where they say, oh, let me close my eyes so I can think about it. I think they say, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I just think like that is such a helpful thing. And to tie it back to the tank, it's like, okay, there's salt in my eyes. Uh, this pain I'm experiencing is now outside of my control. What is inside my control? Okay, two things. Sit with the pain or get out of the tank and wash your eyes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Both are completely viable options. But to just spiral and freak out and, and worry, uh, it, you don't have to do that. And so much of our automatic responses, what we think are automatic responses, are probably just learned behavior that we've picked up along the way. Maybe even connected to trauma, but that's, there you go, bigger. I think there's like two really important things around that. One is whenever you're really sucked into the middle of like that feel. So whether it's like depression or somebody who has like anger issues, if you're right full in the middle of it and you don't have the like any spaciousness around it, you're fully in it and like the first step to doing anything about it is what you said like oh this is coming up like i'm aware of it Mm. and only then i feel like can you truly like be able to sit with it so i feel like there's an important part there where uh, developing your spaciousness whether it's through experiences like with the float tank there's probably few things if anything better than meditation for that like sitting and watching things come up and not identifying with every fleeting thing that mm-hmm. comes through you uh, only then really can you like identify what's coming up and then choose to feel it fully and the second thing that I feel is really important with that is like when something comes up whether it's depression or like the anger example it's not it's feeling the feeling and not getting caught in the story of it Mm. so as an example uh, it's like shortening the story almost so let's just pick some random thing like I am depressed because my podcast got hardly any listens this week Mm -hmm. (laughs) so if you look at that story and then start to break it down okay i'm just gonna like knock the end bit off it so instead of i'm depressed because my podcast how about just i am depressed yeah and then how does that feel in my body like does that affect my posture do i feel something in my gut and then just sit with that without the like because thing yeah i actually am a firm believer that it's like the other way around like i have depression in me and it will find something to justify Uh... itself same it's as like a heat-seeking missile. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> or like a little hungry parasite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anger for me is the one that's really easy to like, exp- like for people to be able to relate to this. If you think of like a habitually angry person, mm-hmm. they might be raging about like their football team losing and then they're raging because the their wife's got dinner ready 10 minutes late and that's important because they're angry about this they're angry about that they're angry about the next thing how about they're just an angry person and they're looking for like Mm. things to justify it if only that person had the 
option to cultivate a little bit of spaciousness around the anger so whenever it arises they can be aware of it and then the thing that they're angry about the football team say for example like oh I'm aware that I'm really angry that my football team lost how about I just shorten the story and like okay I'm just angry now Mm. like how does that feel in my body and then you know like I said before like try just being angry without any story Mm -hmm. it'll pass Mm -hmm. and then you're back to stillness again wow alchemy (laughs) alchemy yeah that that was my favourite part of this conversation was whenever you just pulled the alchemy card from lead into gold that's the point where my mind just went (laughs) from suffering to stillness wow incredible well let's do a wee microphone cheers it's probably going to sound terrible for the listeners here (laughs) <laughs> I didn't even like I was so unsatisfied I, I, I can't wait I can't wait to figure out what that or listen to what that sounded like you could do this this will get, really get things popping take the pop filter off there we go there we go I mean that's definitely gonna like ear explode somebody <laughs> in their headphones right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah look um, big thanks to Vivian and the team at Hydroes for hosting us today uh definitely it was something that was on my bucket list to do like mm. legitimately so so excited to do it we'll definitely be back again and like i said we will be sharing vivian's story in depth soon and uh would definitely definitely recommend just to pop down to east belfast uh to go for a float yourself i think do you know what like this it sounds like a sales pitch but i generally mean this like i love what they're doing here and if you really look into their purpose and their mission, it is really, really incredible. Their origin story is just phenomenal. And so, you know, if you have a birthday coming up or any excuse for people to give you stuff, uh, why not get the gift of an experience and why not get the gift of something kind of off the beaten track? And yeah, this is my official non-sponsored endorsement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just also want to like acknowledge as well uh, and say thanks to you Matt because like this is an awesome experience and like we've talked about before early on other previous podcasts like this is just fun yeah it's, it's <laughs> totally fun like for us to go out and have like a little date day yeah <laughs> have a conversation and uh, yeah hopefully um, people get something out of these esoteric ramblings really bro and look as always thank you for sharing and well, it's really you. Like you're the one doing the introducing here. So, like I introduced you to Prince of Egypt last time. You've introduced me to float tanks today. So, I appreciate you kind of like also showing something off. And uh, who knows? Who knows what's next? I mean, we'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Whatever it is. Awesome, mate. Appreciate you and appreciate you listening today. Hope you have a great rest of your day. And yeah, reach out Matthew at bestbelfast.org. Is it Scott at CausewayLiving.com? Yeah. Oh, mate, you got the dot .com. Yeah. You're the big dog here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to go into another tangent there, but like, let's wrap this up. I'm hungry. <laughs> awesome. Peace out. Peace out.